Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake. And today we have a different kind of episode. I know I always say that they're special and they always are, but today's episode is going to be a little different than what we've done in the past because we actually have a skillful customer on with us today. He's an amazing professional. He happens to be the enterprise asset manager for Denbury. Please welcome to Frontline Innovators, Gary Brown. Hello, Gary. Hey, how you doing, Justin? Uh, glad to be here. Really, really happy to have you here. And just, you know, as a, a, a note to all of our listeners, I'm not going to let this turn into just an outright skillful commercial, but we have done over 100 episodes and we've really tried to keep this a very high level thought leadership set of conversations. And we talk about the challenges of technology adoption with frontline workforces, specifically around field service. We happen to have a guest here today who has dealt with these challenges both before and after Skillful. He's a good friend of ours at Skillful, and we love the folks over at Denbury. And I just thought, man, it'd be crazy for us to get into this conversation and just not open it up a little bit more to talk about the before and after Skillful. Um, will some of this come off a little bit like a, a commercial of Skillful? Sure. And I, I'm going to ask you to just forgive me for this one time because I think we we all have a lot to learn. This won't all be about Skillful, but we definitely have some things that we can learn from that, whether you're using Skillful or not. So without any further ado, let me get into the way we start off every single one of these episodes and ask Gary what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless or frontline workforce today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I when I think about this question, I mean, there's a lot of answers, but if I had to pick one out, um, it's really like sometimes when we're going to roll out a program, we kind of feel like and, and we're setting up the training. Sometimes we think, you know, one recipe fits all, right? And the bottom line is, is like everybody's an individual. Everybody learns differently, you know, and and we need to make sure that, you know, we're empowering people um, to know, you know, to to see how going to that deskless workforce is going to benefit them the company and overall their families, you know, through, you know, through the duration of this magic carpet life of life, you know, so pretty much, you know, that's, that's what I see. You get, you get in this mindset of like, Hey, this is that one, this is that one process that's going to kind of just, you know, take us across the finish line. And more often than not, you have to swerve outside those lines a little bit and, and, and fit it for, for more of the individual and cover a wide, broad range of personalities and learners. You know, I think I'm guilty at times of mm. being a seeker of a silver bullet. You know, mm. I, I want to just find the answer. 
And what I hear you saying today is there, there isn't an answer. It's a bunch of answers. It's a bunch of different approaches. And we need to be thinking about all of those people. And, and I think that it makes perfect sense. And I know I'm, I consider myself pretty sensitive to the needs of, of those frontline workers. And I know I probably still would have a tendency to allow myself to think that there's a single answer. And uh, so I appreciate you, you raising that point. I think it's a really good one. Yeah. And I, I think that just, um, you know, obviously I have ideas just like everybody else. And sometimes I believe my idea is the best idea. Right. But um, just taking, taking that feedback and really measuring your success in your training program um, and taking the feedback of how learners um, digest some of that, you know, digest some of that information and how far, you know, how fast and how far you're getting through with it, with whatever program is, is crucial to um, making sure that your scope isn't so uh, one directional and it, it, it creates a, you know, more broader range of ways for people to, to get information and, and move the needle. You have such a strong connection to the, to the people side of the business. I, I want to dig into that more uh, a little bit later. We, you and I have yep. talked about this in separate conversations and I, I think it's really pretty neat because it seems to be a common theme amongst skillful customers is that they tend to be very, very connected to the people element. So I, in, in your whole description right now, I didn't hear you talk about the technology or your vendor selection on the technology or the workflows or how the yeah. business analyst documented the work. It was none of that. What's going to make a difference here yeah. is yeah. how we interact with the people that are on the other side of these processes. And that's going to be what, what makes a big difference. So I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. Let's give the audience a little bit of background. Where did you come from? How did you end up at Denbury? And how did you end up in the role you're in today? Yeah, so I mean, I I just came up in the trade doing a electrical work, um, was licensed in that, doing more like of a commercial type um, electrical work, whether it was shopping centers or big department stores. Um, and then I, you know, I, I was living in Florida at the time. And I had an opportunity to come work in, in the Houston area and picked up a job, you know, working in the industrial industry, um, you know, working turnarounds and, and big, big plants and refineries and and uh, on the chemical side as well. After I worked through that, I mean, we just, you know, I, I landed a job with Denbury, you know, they were one of our customers with the pre with the with the uh, vendor I was working with and um you know, I started there as an electrician as well, instrumentation and electrical technician, kind of worked my way up, did planning and scheduling, um, maintenance planning and scheduling. Um, after that, I was a production foreman um, over a, 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 a CO2 flood in, in the Houston area. And then um, we also had, and then I moved on to uh, the EAM analyst, which was more of like supervisor role over over the planners and schedulers and now i'm the eam manager and that's over planning and scheduling our center of excellence for sap eam and um and warehouse and inventory operations <clears throat> okay that's awesome you're really the perfect person to talk about this because you are are both boots on the ground you've been there you've done this and now you have a role essentially, even though you don't work at headquarters officially, your role essentially reports into headquarters 
as a as a corporate function today. Yes, so we're perfectly liaison to to the guys that are out in the field, and uh, I can't wait to explore that a little bit more with you. So. Let, let's get started. I, I obviously know a little bit of the history of Denbury and mobile technology deployments. I'm not looking to pour salt in any wounds, okay? So that's not why I'm, I want to ask these questions. But I, I really want to ask in terms of lessons learned from previous engagements. I, I've always found that when people are uh, at large companies like Denbury are doing a mobile technology deployment to the frontline workforce, the first time there are a lot of lessons learned because it just seems like it should be easier than it is, right? It yeah, just sure. seems like, man, it's just a bunch of iPads. How freaking hard can this possibly be, right? Yep. And you guys had a moment, I think, where maybe you were thinking along some of those lines. So tell me, before using Skillful, before we even get into the current state of where you're at today, share with us some of the lessons that you guys learned when you rolled out. Uh, we don't have to mention any brand names, but they're previous to the SAP EAM deployment. There was a deployment of another technology. What are some of the lessons that you learned from, from that experience? Well, I think, I believe one of the biggest takeaways was pretty much like, hey, you're not going to hire a plumber to do your electrical work and vice versa. Just like I'm not going to um, ask my maintenance supervisor to hit my training program. Right. So like that was probably one of the biggest things that, um, you know, that my, of my takeaways is like, there's professionals out there that do this for a living um, and they can give you, you know, some guidance, right? And now it's a partnership. It's going to go back and forth, right? But um, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. Um, another thing is, is like, okay, um, in this case, it was a mobility solution, you know, on a, on a, on an iPad. So like not having that information readily available on your iPad, maybe if you didn't have service or something like that, was was an issue. So I got to go back to the office to get a refresher. Things like that um, made it difficult. I learned, you know, we learned that, you know, having something that's on your tablet, you know, and it's ready, readily available to you um, to, to work through. That's that's a big piece, the information being there. Right. Um, I think communicating communicating your your help desk ticket process or if you have an issue making sure that's overly communicated like it's it's laminated on the hall in the hallway in the maintenance shop right it's it's everywhere like they know who they need to call first when they have an issue you know things like that no letting people know that you're there to support them information is readily available and um you you can't tackle this journey alone. You need somebody that knows what they're doing to to help guide you. This um th those are really good points. Hell, I, I know some things that the audience obviously doesn't know. Tell me about some of the things because I I don't want to make it seem as if Denbury just threw these iPads out there in the past and just like oh crap it's not working right. Of course that's not the case. Right. You guys have it actually put really quite a bit of thought 
you had actually put some production into creating some training content and stuff like that. So let's yeah. give credit where it's due. You had actually made a pretty significant investment of time and, and probably some money in putting out what you put out. Yeah. You mentioned um, the offline use. I can see that being something because I, if I remember correctly, you guys had um, published that content like on SharePoint or, or a similar yes. tool. Yeah, it was like a Microsoft stream video. We had it on SharePoint. Yeah. So, yep. So what other... Let's just talk through some of the materials. I mean, I know one of your teammates had had built out some video content and yeah. had kind of talked through the video a little, or excuse me, um, talked through the workflows in the application. Yeah. Did you guys also have PowerPoint materials that supported the trainers when you did any instructor-led training? I actually don't know this. Did you guys do yeah. instructor-led training? Yeah, we, we had some PowerPoint stuff and, you know, we had like, the functional spec from the vendor and different click here, click there type information, um, you know, but, and, and I don't want to turn it back into what we talked about earlier, but like some people learn in different ways, you know? Yeah. And so um, maybe going through a, a three ring binder that we had that we can, they can throw on their truck seat um, or something like that. Wasn't, wasn't the best. Um, and, you know, the guys are out in the field, Things get tore up riding around in the pickup truck. It's a lot of times they're not working in a clean environment. Some of these guys are living in their vehicles. It feels like, you know, so um, just keeping, keeping all that stuff together can be tough. And, and as far as the videos go, I, you know, looking back and what I know today, like <clears throat> you have the, like we, we made videos, but they were quite long. Right. And, and it wasn't kind of broke out to like um, hit a specific topic at times. It may cover three or four things in that video. And there wasn't a way to say, hey, I want to like, I want to, you know, do this part of this, of the, uh, you know, of whatever application I'm using. It was, it was like, you had to watch this whole video and try to find that 10 seconds that meant something to you in that moment. And, you know, Frontline workers, the bottom line is, is they're going to be, you know, they're hired to be on their tools, taking care of that stuff in the field. It's not real good use of uh, company money and their time. And, you know, it just it just makes it very cumbersome. And, you know, when things are cumbersome and they make jobs harder, you know, adoption's yeah. tough. Did they give you so I understand and you and I've talked about the length of the videos. And, you know, that's something that we really advocate for. We, not just in the videos, but in the simulations that we create in our platform, we really advocate for bringing them down to as small of a micro lesson as is practical for that particular mm -hmm. workflow. Yeah. We actually, um, we had some data. I haven't looked at this data recently, but we had some data previously that after 14 steps in a lesson, we saw an exponential increase in the number of failures that learners uh, conducted or experienced through that lesson. So I'm not saying that every lesson has to be 14 steps or less. I think there are certainly cases where, you know, a few more steps in that are appropriate for a workflow, but we had some real data. This just, this wasn't just subjective opinion saying, Hey, I think it should be less than 15. We actually had objective data in the system now that could show that a lesson that was 14 steps or less more often than not, uh, a knowledge check could be passed on the first attempt, whereas anything over 14 steps, we were starting to see increases of three, four, five times. 
And what we also saw in that case was people starting to kind of circumvent the system. They were actually cheating and they were recording the lessons, the simulations on their, their own smartphone so that they could have like a cheat sheet so that they could get through the lesson. And it was like, oh gosh, this is not what we should be doing here. Right. Right. But, but for once, right. it wasn't just an opinion that somebody thought in the conference room, Hey, we should, we shouldn't make these 14 steps or less. We actually had real data to go on. And so your observations and the data are aligned perfectly. There's value in keeping those things short. Yep. Part that you mentioned that I want to explore a little bit further is uh, like the feedback from the guys in the field. You said their primary job is not to be messing around with an app and an iPad. Their primary job is doing something else. Yeah. What was their feedback? Is that your take on that? Or is that them coming back and saying, guys, I can't do this because you want me fixing these, you know, piece of equipment? Yeah. So <clears throat> this is what I'm going to say. A guy didn't choose a career path to be a mechanic because he wanted to spend his time on an iPad. Like he likes going out there and he likes getting that big machine running, you know, throwing around some big wrenches you know, being where the metal meets the meat. Right. Yeah. And that's not where he wants to spend most of his time. Um, so, and I guess I've, I can relate to that personally because I'm, you know, to be honest, when we got us a, you know, an ERP system going and, and I was a INE technician and I had work orders to close, like when it first rolled out, I mean, I'm going to tell you, like, I was not, I was not happy. Right. So now, so now I have to come in and get on my laptop and print out my shop papers and make sure I, you know, take care of this administrative burden. You may work, say you have something down, you could work till 10 o'clock at night. It's pretty tough to come back to your office at 10 o'clock at night and close out your work orders for the day. Yep. You know, and, um, you know, just the experience with that was that it was, it was clunky you know, some of the training that we had. Um, it was like, hey, we're going to stick you in this room for three days. We're going to spend nine hours a day on it. And going back to what we were talking about, like cutting it up in little pieces, like, you know, as well as I do, you sit in a meeting for an hour and a half and you're starting to look like, man, when is this going to be over? This is this is getting painful. That last piece of it, you know, the the details in the last 30 minutes of that hour and a half meeting hopefully you got the important stuff out of the way in the beginning, because a lot of people are checked out, you know? And like, when you talk about technology, there's so many distractions these days. This falls into one of the many, many items in the category of, I knew there would be value in building those practices, you know, the, the practice simulations and skillful for the purposes of getting them used to those workflows, right? Getting them prepared for the knowledge deck. The part that I way underestimated when we kicked this thing off is the value that it would have on their psyche. Yeah. That the, the, the confidence boost, the ability to allow them to learn without the consequences, mm -hmm. I way underestimated the impact of that. And, and I still think today we, we experience this all the time that users, I believe still don't even call into support as often as they need to. They, they try to power through things that they don't know how to do or that something's not working right, but they 
sometimes lack the confidence to call in because they feel like it's a indication of failure. And those practices and, and the feedback that we get on that is profound because it really speaks to the importance of just giving them that place that they can go. And then I'm sure they know that the number of practices are being counted and stuff like that. But as you know, we've made a point to not show that it doesn't show you've done the practice seven times now, eight times now, nine times now, 10 times. That's like right. we're tracking that on the back end, but we don't show that in the user interface because I don't want them to feel like, Oh crap. If my boss sees that I've done this 15 times, he's going to wonder what the hell's wrong with me. Right. So yeah. we don't want to show that. And yeah. it's, it's not really the point to, to the point when you asked answered their question. It's like, yeah, you can do them as many times as you want. We want them to do that. That's right. And give them the, the flexibility. In fact, I would encourage them to do them as many times as they need to. And um, so it, it's so rewarding to hear you, you know, bring that feedback back from the field. That that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really happy. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful part of the tool for sure. You know, and yeah. the guys, the guy, it just makes them feel safe, you know. I don't know if you like, you know, I read a lot about, um, you know, like team cultures and culture and stuff like that. You know, people just want to feel safe. They want to be valued, you know, those type of things. So giving them the opportunity to make a mistake before you judge them is huge. Pardon the interruption, but we have decided to split this conversation into two episodes. Gary and I went to a little over an hour and we're going to break it up into two episodes. So we're going to wrap up this episode now. Before I close this out, I'd like to let everyone know that Gary and I will be hosting a joint session at an awesome upcoming event. The Operational Excellence in Oil and Gas Summit will be held in Houston, Texas, November 7th through 10th, where Gary and I will host a roundtable discussion titled Driving User Adoption of Field Applications. For more information about the event and how to attend, please feel free to reach out to me directly, shoot me an email or message me on LinkedIn, and I'll point you in the right direction. And finally, unless this is your first episode, you probably already know that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the only end-to-end -end systems training platform optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how to solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation in our next episode of the podcast. Thank you.